Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Mike Popovic couldn't be with us today, but I got Pat Donahue here with me. We're going to break down basketball a little bit and then talk football as we know where Maryland's headed for their bowl game. And we got a few uh, transfer transfer news to talk about with the portal officially open today on Monday. Pat, uh, basketball team four and four now, 0-1 in the Big Ten. Um, We haven't seen much, many good things from this team. Uh, I think we had all hoped when they went on that three-game winning streak against uh, admittedly inferior opponents that... They had taken some steps forward in confidence, and then it all kind of blew up against Indiana on Friday night. So just give me your your overall sense of what's going on with this team uh, right now as they struggle to get things going. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think the the easy thing to say is what everyone's kind of saying and holding on to is that, you know, this team can't shoot, and, and, that, and that's not wrong. They, they are not shooting the ball well. There doesn't seem to be, <clears throat> excuse me, many shooters on this team, but – Beyond that, the offense is just non-existent. It is a it is Jameer Young dribbling and looking for something, and everyone else standing around not cutting. It, it reminds me a lot of the uh, Mark Turgeon days, and 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 the same thing. Which it's crazy because we didn't really see that last year with uh, Kevin Willard, but it, it's like we've reverted back to that somehow. And no one seems to really know their role on the offensive side of the ball. It seems to be a lot of uh, you know. I guess for lack of a better term, like hero ball, just guys getting the ball and trying to ISO and do, you know, get to the rim, draw a foul, things like that. Um, I think I see some, you know, attitude issues and some character flaws on this team too. Um, I'm completely fed up with Julian Reese. I mean, I, I, I think I saw, I think it was like Jeff Herman tweeted out a video of Julian Reese, like snapping at teammates for, for not hustling or something like that. And he was commending him for that. Well, I had the opposite take on that. I mean, I, I think that that's, shows an immature player and a player who has shown to be immature throughout his entire college career being immature again. And that's the type of stuff you, you save that for the halftime. You say that might've been even after halftime, but you save that for after the game. You, you don't, when things aren't going well for your team and, and especially be you being a big, when I say you, I mean, Julian Reese being a big part of why things aren't going well, you don't have the bravado to step up and snap at a freshman or a teammate like that. Um, I, that's just my opinion on that. And I think that goes back to even coaching and Kevin Willard's grasp on this whole team. Um, I think it's, I mean, you guys know from listening to this podcast and reading my early season articles, I had high hopes for this team from a talent and a coaching standpoint, and both have fallen flat on their face. So I'm extremely disappointed. I don't see, uh, I don't want to, you know, harp and harp and harp and go on negative, 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 but it's just show me something positive before I can, you know, uh, focus on those positives uh you know beating those three teams that they beat in a row uh you would hope you know you can't gain much from that but you'd hope that they gain some confidence back to go into big 10 play and at least give a good effort you know maybe play indiana down to the wire on the road um and not great indiana team nonetheless um and the game wasn't even as close as the 12 point score it was a, a laugher of an effort um from the very jump i don't even think they had a lead the entire time from the 
very whistle. Um, and I'm interested to see, you know, we'll talk about it a little more, but the Penn State's even worse uh, than Indiana. And they're, you know, Maryland, I haven't looked at the line or anything, but I'm guessing Maryland's favored considerably, especially being at home. And I won't, I, I got to see it to believe it. I won't be surprised if they go out and lay an egg against Penn State because of this. Everything seems like a mess. But based off of talent alone and just having Jameer Young, they should be able to win that game. But, but we'll see. Yeah, it's hard. You know, those three games that they won, uh, against what UMBC, South Alabama, and Ryder, three bad teams. That those positive signs you saw there were only really going to be positive if we saw that against like legitimate competition. And right. to this point, we just haven't. Um, you know, they, they beat Mount St. Mary's and they beat those three terrible teams, but they've shown no reason to believe that they can beat anyone halfway decent. Uh, and that includes Minnesota and Penn State. Yeah. You know, the two teams, the only two teams that are ranked below them in Ken Palm right now are Minnesota and Penn State. And oh. I mean, you can't really say, I mean, maybe they're sort of even with those teams, but I mean, they look like crap. 41% from the field. Young and Reese are the only players averaging double digit points. Uh, three pointers, they're shooting 22.7%, which has got to be, I mean, I think I saw a stat that they were. 350 something in field goal percentage in the country and i think navy is is the only team in the state that's worse and it's they're crazy. like the worst in college basketball so like yeah it's almost like you couldn't shoot this badly if you tried right like it's like how did you get to maryland being this bad of a shooter there's no reason like Dante Scott is not this bad a shooter. We've seen it. Right. We've seen him shoot better than this before. Julian Reese is not this incompetent near the rim. Like we've seen it before. Uh, Jameer Young is, he's been better than what he's showing, but you know, it is what it is. Jamie Kaiser is not this bad of a shooter. Um, right. I mean, y you can say that certain things don't translate from high school to college. It, it's not this big a drop off. So, you know, you hope that they can put it together at some point, but they're going to dig them. So at this point, they're going to dig themselves such a deep hole that the NIT is going to be lucky to have them. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's not that's that's like almost the goal at this point. I mean, I don't yeah. think you can even consider the NCAA. This is not a tournament team. No, no, not not at all right <laughs> now. I mean, they would have to have a total uh, 180 of yeah. just you know, somehow a light bulb going off and then figuring this out because that's like you said, none of these guys we've from, from at least half the team, we've seen better play than this before. So to me, that goes back to that. There's just, everyone's kind of in a negative spot right now, physically, mentally, they're, they're all kind of slumping and there's no leadership on the roster, whether it's a coach or a player to, to dig them out of it. Like Jameer young to me, I, I personally don't know him that well, but I, to me, just from, an outside point of view strikes me as more of a uh not a vocal leader but like a uh you know lead by example type which is totally fine that's how a lot of great athletes lead but the guys don't seem to be responding to that this year no one seems to be there seems to be a lot of finger pointing going on as opposed to accountability and hard work and trying to dig themselves individually out of the hole and before the team can even get out of a hole so it'll be interesting to see how they respond because if they if they can't beat Penn State, then like you said, I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you know, maybe maybe they run into a couple wins in conference play, but otherwise, you, you have know. to catch a team on a really off night. and Right. I mean, they play Alcorn the State, Nickel State, and Coppin State. So there's three wins. 
Yeah, um, yeah. Toppin State, I think, is like the worst team in Division One basketball, according it to Ken Palm. It looks like it based off of their Ken Palm ranking. But yeah. um, <laughs> and I mean Alcorn State, Nichols State, they they should all be pretty easy. Even though I could see those teams like playing a kind of competitive if things don't turn around. Uh, but is- yeah, other than that, I mean, you go to UCLA. I mean, I know UCLA isn't as strong as they were last year, but that may be uglier than last it's year's so UCLA ugly. game. Yeah. So. You know, it's unfortunate. Uh, we had obviously high hopes. Well, I'm sorry. I was just they already struggled putting butts in the seats for the past couple of years. Uh, well, and right, and I think in front of an empty, huge arena. And and I do want to talk about that sort of broad spectrum because if we had seen this last year, if last year and this year had been reversed, it would have been more understandable. Like True. we we didn't yeah. expect things to be we didn't expect last season to be as successful as it was so quickly. It was surprising how well Kevin Willard was able to get the team to play, but to have this big a drop off when Willard has more of his guys in the program. And after he did lose two key assistants and now he's got more of his guys, quote unquote, his guys, this is concerning and it's concerning for the future because you've got a program that was, mired in a few years of apathy under Mark Turgeon. And that was kind of the the spark that they needed to get the fan base and everybody out of it was last season. And the crowds were coming back. They were selling out games. It was big atmospheres. And everything was set up for this year. And now you've completely fallen apart. So now you need another year like last year, whether that's next year or whatever, to then get the fans back. And it's just this constant cycle. So you know, Kevin Willard, obviously he's going to be here for at least the next three, four years, given his contract. He's got a 90% buyout clause, and he's one of the highest paid coaches in the Big Ten. So he's going to be here. He's going to have a chance to right this ship, but he's got to make some changes. And I know I talked with Mike two weeks ago. One of the things that I still can't understand about Kevin Willard is the pace that he runs his offense with at Maryland. Because this was a guy who was sold and Damon Evans mentioned it at his introductory press conferences. He was sold as a guy who was going to bring an exciting brand of basketball that was going to be strong defense and running on offense. It was one of the biggest criticisms of Mark Turgeon's teams that they were so slow. They didn't run the court. They didn't push in transition. Well, Kevin Willard did it at Seton Hall every year, and, and he's a Rick Patino disciple, and you push, push the ball up the court. And so far... Last year, we saw an extremely slow offense. Now, like I mentioned two weeks ago, to his credit, it was working last year, so you didn't want to mess with it. They were extremely efficient in the half court. It was working. It ain't working this year. And they're even slower. They're moving even slower. And like you mentioned, it's the motionless offenses back. There's no movement off the ball. There's no energy. You're You're not forcing the defense to do anything but sit in the lane. And you can't get in there and draw fouls when there's five dudes standing there and they can just put their hands up. You ain't going to draw fouls that way. So something's got to give and they, they've got to figure this out because you can't continue to play like this for the, the next few months and hope fans and fans want to come out. And then you can't expect that you're going to add talent. I mean, Derek Queen's already at this point a lost cause. Yeah, that and that's concerning because that was looking halfway decent until this recent season, basically, until we started yeah. playing basketball. And then, um, like you said, I mean, it makes no sense that Kevin Willard, who's this, you know, run and gun coach and this pressing coach elsewhere, and then comes to Maryland with that promise. And we haven't seen it yet. We're still waiting on it. And it's even more concerning this year. Like I wrote in my preview for the um, Indiana game that this would 
makes sense based off of Indiana's roster and what they're good at in the matchup, this would be a game you'd want to press and you'd really want to get out and run with that team. I didn't see that at all. And it's not like we're Purdue with a seven foot four or whatever he is, big man and have to basically run half court sets for him and stuff like that. Like we have moderately sized more on the athletic side, big men that should be able to run. Like it's, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we could sit here till we're blue in the face and probably figure out why he's not doing it, but I don't think there's any good answer as to why he isn't doing it. And, I think something's got to change. No, and he talked before the year. He wants to run. He wanted to be even slower, run a Big Ten style offense. Well, that's not what we brought you here to do. Yeah, right. And I think everybody hates the Big Ten style offense. It's why it's why they always get beat to hell in the in March Madness. Look at look at uh, Purdue. They already lost to Northwestern. Right, and at least if you're gonna if you're gonna want to run that offense, recruit for it. Don't go out and recruit a bunch of wings that we thought were gonna be able to get out in space and knock down some shots. And they can't do any of that. And and in the half court, they look totally lost. And it, it's just it is it is bizarre world. I mean, I that's the downfall of a lot of coaches is adapting to their situation as opposed to making the situation adapt to what they do best. Uh, and Kevin Willard seems to be falling into that trap big time right now. And that was honestly during the coaching search. I was happy about Willard. Is wasn't like over the top happy about it. He wasn't. I didn't think he was going to be some savior coming in, but I was as happy as anyone else really about it. And um, it, it's just weird that he, you know, I, my biggest concern, I guess, is that my biggest concern with him was that he. You know, when the bright lights were on in a bigger market, bigger conference, like would he will? Would he not? He didn't seem like he would, um, and especially last year, having a great first year in the conference, you'd seem you would think that he would build off of that. And it's just interesting to see him regress, and you wonder what's going on. Um, I don't want to say personally, but like within the locker room, like what what is going on that's causing this to happen? Yeah, I mean, there's clear chemistry issues. You mentioned Julian Reese yelling at Dante Scott to box out. Um, yeah, and. Right. Those sorts of lashing out, you know, we've seen it before from him, usually directed at the other team. Yeah. Um, and, and let's be clear, Julian Reese. Like, I know I've been harsh on you, and I'm going to continue to be harsh on you until you play better, but, like, D- Dante Scott's not the guy you want to be yelling at. He will crush you. So <laughs> let's watch yourself, all right? That dude, Dante Scott, does not mess around. Um and yeah, I just think that he, I think there needs to be some sort of leader to step on this team. And it, in my opinion, it would, it would certainly be, see Dante Scott's not really a vocal leader too, but he's always been a leader at every program. He's, he's pretty much been the best player on every team he's been on up until Maryland. And to me, he would be a leader on this team before Julian Reese would be. So, you know, yeah, maybe he hasn't been given his best effort and does need to box out and all, but let, let, let's have those conversations, not in the middle of a game and let's, uh, Let's bring that fire, you know, on your end, Julian Reese, and let's bring that fire in practice and improve on the things that are that are killing us right now before we uh, start going at other people's throats and start trying to physically go at them. Yeah, and Kevin Willard did have some pretty thinly veiled criticisms of some of his more experienced players uh, in the post game uh, after Indiana. Um, you know, he said. They're making mistakes that he could excuse from freshmen, but the fifth-year seniors, which, I mean, it's pretty much Dante Scott because Jameer Young is, for the most part, doing fine. He's the only one that's really giving 
100% on both ends of the True, court. But, but guys don't seem to really be following his lead. So they're, they're not. And that, and that is a concern. Yeah. There is a leadership void. And that's where a head coach needs to step up. And to this point, it doesn't seem like he has. Um, you know, it, clearly you didn't recruit. You know, you brought in, what, Jordan Geronimo? And, okay, well, you know, if you're going to add an experienced player, they probably need to bring some leadership because you True, didn't really have a whole lot of leadership true. last year. I, and I, I do understand that, and I get what you're saying because, like, that should be a quality that you're looking for in bringing in an experienced player like that. But I also... You know, I'm wary of putting that on a transfer's shoulder because yeah. it's like being a new employee somewhere or a new student in a new school. It's like you don't want to be the you don't want to start puffing your chest out right away. You want to settle into your role a little bit before you start, you know, telling people what to, to do or how to do it. So I want to give him a slight pass. Maybe he can grow into that role more as like the season goes on. But I mean, Dante Scott, I'll be critical of him now, too. Like it really needs to be better. Uh, and, and he. Yeah is in the situation. I mean, I've written, I wrote before the season started that it, you know, it's him. That's why I thought this team would be so good. Cause you do have a core of seniors and, and him and young being the, the main two that I thought would really get this team. And, you know, when it did fall out of line, get them back into shape by example or whatever, verbally, whatever they had to do. But um, yeah, it just hasn't been there. And uh, you really have to start questioning why and what, what's going on with these guys. Because it's yeah, their last this, year. I mean, they're not transferring somewhere else after this. This is it for them. So, yeah, I don't get it. This team needs a Des Wells. It's been a while yeah. since they've had a guy like that. You had Gravis. Yeah. You had Des. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since they've had a an aggressive, vocal leader. Yeah. And um, even, like, when you're not, like, a vocal and aggressive, like, I do – I like that form of leadership. I think we all do. It's, it's the most entertaining. But, like – Mello wasn't like a vocal leader, but yeah. guys followed him and they followed his um, energy on the court. Like when he started getting going, everyone started getting going. And he was a little fiery on the court at times. And he just had a presence about him. And um, I haven't been around the team enough, this team enough personally to get a sense of, is that there? Like, is, does a guy have that presence? Like who's getting the, the respect or lack of respect within the locker room? But Based off of what I'm seeing on the court, my guess is that there's some disconnect there. And that's all I can really guess. And I think that leadership is even more important now that you have so much roster turnover. When you have a guy like Dante Scott, who's been in the program for as long as he has, that needs to be your guy. Where right. other guys come in and they say, well, that's the leader. And yes. he takes them under his wing. And to this point... Yeah, we just haven't. I mean, there's clearly leadership issues, so yeah. you have to look at a actually, guy like that. Yeah, and I think that's actually the point of what we're saying here is that it's not like we're searching around for like who should the leaders be in this team. It's very clear who the leaders should be. Yeah. Why? Why aren't they leading? What? What? Or if they are leading, why is this the result of their leadership? So, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a fair question to ask at this point already in the season. But we'll we'll see if they can take care of business against another inferior opponent this time in conference at home well technically indiana's ranked above them in ken palm so they went inferior right i don't no there's not, no, no. There's not mean, that many yeah. inferior opponents left on the schedule no no i mean if they I, I was saying another in terms of you know the one the three before indiana okay yeah yeah, yeah taking care you know, penn state these... is ranked in ken palm relatively close to a couple of those teams that they beat so oh right i know penn state is really not good like i was just looking at they can't shoot either no they're not a good team but it's 
I wish I had like full faith, like like even when the football team's not good, like this year, for example, and you're like, oh, like well, at least we got that Rutgers game at the end of the year, and we'll win whether it's by three or by thirty. We'll probably win that one. Like, I wish I felt that way about this going into this Penn State game, but it, it has just been so bad on the court. Um, they got to show me before I give them any sort of credit. You do get to see Kodis Wahab. He's at Penn yeah. State now. I didn't sure. realize that until I looked uh, at their stats that. before this game. I'm like, okay, yeah. so we Georgetown for two years, then Maryland, then back to Georgetown, now Penn State. So he's covering his bases, D.C., Maryland, Pennsylvania. I guess he needs to go to a Virginia school next. He's probably got like 10 more years of eligibility, so he can probably do that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think they're, uh, it's their backcourt um, that they're led by two guards. Um, yeah, Ace so, Baldwin's their, yeah. their best player and, you know, senior and – uh, Wahab also plays an inter- integral role, and Puff Johnson is a wing who also is not too bad. I mean, they got some guys, but they they, they haven't put it together at all this year. They haven't. They've been bad defensively too. Like for yeah. Maryland, Maryland's ranked I think 17th in Ken Palm in defense, so at least they have that. They've had right. some more lapses than I would have liked to see on the defensive end. Some basketball IQ issues. I know Eric Hayes, former Maryland guard. I saw him on on Twitter. Uh, during the Indiana game, just saying, like, man, how do we get a team full of guys with such low basketball IQ? Yeah. Um, and that, you know, you can understand it from some of the freshmen, but, like, some of the mistakes that Julian Reese and Dante Scott have made on the defensive end, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, uh, I know I when they were down that. in when they were down in Asheville, just, like, Dante Scott leaving dudes wide open in the corner for three every game, like, every time down the court, what are you doing? Yeah, there's like a lack of awareness. They're just on both ends, defense yeah. especially, but like on offense with the standard, like guys just don't seem to know what to do out there. And um, I, I like to hold players accountable, but a lot of that does also go back to coaching. It's like 100%. why why don't these guys know their assignments? What are their assignments? Uh, you know, is that clear to them? And and you know, the coach has to figure that out. Well, let's talk football. We talked yes, basketball more than good. I really wanted to. <laughs> uh, there's only so many ways you can say that the team can't shoot, and I think we said them yeah, all today. And, I, so and we... I'm sick of being mean. It's the holidays. <laughs> I feel like I was just really mean. Like I know you guys are all good guys and are are trying. Yes, we're hey, know. we're 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 playing. We're I'm, I'm we're watching fan, every game know? and we're rooting right. hard. Where we want you to do better, and that's the only re- reason we criticize. So 100%. take it to heart. Don't get upset. Let's 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 win some games. Let's talk football. Uh, football team selected for the Music City Bowl, December 30th in Nashville. They're going to play Auburn. This is their third straight bowl game. Uh, first time they've reached three straight bowls for the uh, since 2006 to 08. Uh, and they've got a chance to win a bowl game in three straight years for the first yeah. time ever in program history. Uh, this yeah, is also the first that- time... This is also the first time they're, they're not playing an ACC team in a bowl since 2014, Stanford. Uh, wow. it's the it's also the yeah the, so Makes they played about it, yeah they played NC State last year Virginia Tech two years before two years ago in 2016 they played Boston College Boston College yeah yeah and that's it yeah those are good because those are the only three I can remember so I'm glad that's the list because uh, I well before that good. then it was Stanford uh, right out in Northern California yeah 2014. Right, that I remember that now too. And then was- Marshall in DC That's the it. year before that, and yes. then ECU in 2010, and then I don't know. I know they played Bo- they played Nevada against Colin Kaepernick in Boise. Yeah, it's been a while since they had like a warm weather. I was thinking that too, because you know Charlotte wasn't that warm. Then it was like New York City, Detroit, DC a couple times, Annapolis. 
Boise. I was like, at the one at the Yankee Stadium, and it was uh, freezing weather that day. Oh my god, was it miserable? Like, that was that was bad. I can't. And this year, look, Nashville. Nashville gets cold in the winter, so. Look, if they had won, if... Days, it's snowing in Hawaii right now. Like, yeah. We don't know where it's going to be warm and what's going to be. You know, New York might be the hottest place on that on December 30th in the country. Like, who knows? Yeah, uh, it's wild. But I, I am intrigued because it stinks. I know the transfer portals getting you know pretty much shit on across the board as it probably should. Uh, it's causing a lot of issues, and they're just. You know, I've always found college sports a lot harder to keep track of than professional sports for obviously a lot of reasons. And the transfer portal has just made it total chaos uh, from a recruiting, following recruiting, following season to season turnover. Um, It's crazy. But what it's also done is made bowl season that much more. I, I, for lack of a better term, I guess meaningless for everything besides the four playoff games because uh, not only do you have the guys who are sitting for to save their draft stock and save their health, which I will never uh, criticize a guy for. Um, I, I think I think unless your team is playing for the national championship, you have your responsibilities to yourself um, first and foremost. But, so you have that crop of guys which always existed. And now you have the transfer portal guys who, why would you risk playing for some guys? Some guys will put themselves in the transfer portal and say, they'll still play. And that's good on them. But a lot of them will say, no, like got to put myself first. Can't be getting hurt before entering the portal. And it just leads to that many more opt outs. So who knows who's going to play for either team in this game, but it's kind of cool to have the opportunity to play an sec team and use it as a measuring stick of sorts. And, uh, Auburn finished the year pretty strong after having a little slide, which I was looking at their slide. If you want to call it a slide, they lost to Texas A&M at Texas A&M, like not a big deal. Then they lost to number one, Georgia, number 22, LSU, number 13, Ole Miss back to back. Uh, Two of those three games being one score games, including the Georgia game. Like, this is, and they just barely lost to Alabama at the end of the season. Like they, the, that New Mexico State game is the only like bad. Uh, yeah, you're we, right. that was trap week, right before right. Alabama trap right. week. Right. Sometimes you invite the 49ers into Philadelphia and get your asses kicked. Bad day. <laughs> bad day. It happens. We'll see what happens come January. You know, it's it's, it, it, yeah, that is an outlier of a performance, and hopefully we get that Auburn on December 30th. I really hope we get that Auburn on December 30th. Uh, but if we get the, you know, Auburn that beat Arkansas at Arkansas 48 to 10, or that almost yeah. beat Alabama or that almost beat Georgia. Oof. Good luck. Especially without Barham and these other guys, which. Yeah. I mean, quality team, a big name. They'll, they'll bring a big contingent to Nashville. Hopefully Maryland. Fans. Yeah. They're going to have it's a an easy ish trip. No matter what. Yeah. They, oh yeah. hundred percent. But, yeah. um, you know, good trip for Maryland fans who want to make the trip. Nashville's a cool town. I want to try. I don't know if I'll. I've always wanted to go to Nashville, and a lot of my my wife's been there. My pretty much most of my friends and family have been there. Um, I'm gonna see if I can maybe swing it down there, but I don't know. It's gonna be tough around the holidays. It's probably a good time to go. Like the most of the city is probably gonna be empty, which is True. always True. my thing with Nashville. Is like Broadway gets nuts and i go yeah. for like the little music clubs i don't go to like party on broadway yeah that, but, uh, that would be nashville okay. is a it's a cool town a lot of good music and then you're you're close-ish to the mountains to do stuff as well so it's a and it's nice and during the holidays not too cold 
Um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully Maryland fans can. Maybe I'll get a place in the mountains and just retreat to that. Go in for the game, retreat to yeah. the mountains, spend there a night go. in Nashville City. Who knows? But uh, we will see Talia Tungavailoa. He now he announced after the Rutgers game he will play in this game. So that's good at least uh, to have your yeah. your leader, the Big Ten now, is all, he all-time still... passing leader. Yes, I was just going to say, did he break that, right? Yes. He did. Yes. He did. So he has a chance to, because these stats will count, so he has a chance to build upon that record. Yeah. 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 And Good we'll see him. We'll see uh, how long it takes for somebody to beat that. But the transfer portal, guys don't stay in the same conference for That's going to be what years. saves a lot of records because, yeah. um, man, I've always been one of those, like, I love, you know, the record books. I love the history. I, I Part of me hates that so many great, former players have had their record just obliterated by the the change of the game and it kind of washes them out of the record book a little bit unfairly in some senses but maybe this transfer portal maybe that'd be a silver lining of it it'll kind of balance a little bit of that a little bit of that out some uh records will stand a little bit longer because um yeah that's no i mean i i forget exactly the years of the guys that he beat but it wasn't like it wasn't like last year, you know what I'm saying? It, it was early two thousands. It, it, it was kind of that Drew Brees, Curtis Painter. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy and then the guy before that was like, I want to say the seventies or something like that, or like way before, maybe early nine. I don't know. It had been a while. So yeah, I, I, I wanna see to uh Talia get, you know, have his time of, of sitting on that record for a little bit and uh but you just never know with how good quarterbacks are these days and how um much teams even in the big 10 throw the ball now so we will see yeah purdue used to be the only team that used to do that with drew Brees and, and some of the guys that they sure, had sure. they were they were running that steve spurrier running gun back in the 90s and just they were up drew Brees has a lot of those big 10 passing records does. still not anymore uh, yeah uh, <laughs> one, one aside real quick just while i just like randomly popped in my head because i don't think we'll talk about it uh i'm really interested to see what that new indiana coach is going to do the jmu coach yeah uh i kind of like him i kind of like his fiery yeah. attitude and his brand of football and uh i'd be excited if i was a hoosiers fan so it'll be interesting to see maryland deal with that team and the rise of that team uh in the future yeah look i mean northwestern looked better than anybody expected them to this year after pat fitzgerald was fired right um, after all that turmoil and then you're gaining Oregon and Washington and USC UCLA. Like, holy shit. Oh, and no, and no divisions. So you're just, yeah, uh, you good know, luck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually probably a better thing for us because, like, not that it really mattered. I don't think it probably a net zero on that, but like, it's, I like the fact that we're not going to have to see Iowa in, <laughs> in the Big Ten title game anymore. Yeah. Like, we'll probably finish ahead of Iowa, like, sometimes, you know what probably. I'm saying? It's like, it, it's, the standings will be the standings, the legit standings at the end of the year. You'll see long. different teams. I think there's a period of two or three years that start next year where you don't play Ohio State at all in a row. So it's going to be a little odd. I know they, they, they of course, they want to play Rutgers every year, which is like fine. We'll take cool. three wins. Thank you. We'll we take a that. free win. Um, yeah. But yeah, it'll uh, it'll be interesting. This this bowl game against Auburn. Um, to get back to that, it it, it is going to be sort of a measuring stick. First at first time they're playing an SEC team in a bowl game since '02. That Peach Bowl win against Tennessee. Um, Auburn this year. I was digging in a little bit into their stats, and like you said, it's hard to know who's going to play in this game. But they run the ball better than they throw it. They defend the pass better than they defend the run. Um, but again, it. 
it's really hard to know. Um, but playing a big name, I know for a while they were slated to play in the Vegas Bowl against Utah, which would have been a fine matchup. Uh, would have been basically a Utah home game at that point because Maryland fans weren't going to make that trip. Uh, December yeah, 23rd. but Utah, that would have been like playing Iowa. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're all defense and... Well, and, like, there. who's their quarterback? Because, like, they're Cam Rising's been out all year. They've got a couple yeah. other than other in the portal. Like, yeah. you know, uh, quality program that, that Kyle Whittingham's got out there. But, yeah, that, uh, that was ranked, I think, one slot below the Music City Bowl. And since Penn State and Ohio State both got New Year's Six Bowls, that bumped everybody else up. So Maryland got the the Music City, which I think is a better better matchup totally for them. Right. I think it brings in like five point seven million for the conference, which is one of the biggest uh, revenue bowls outside of the New Year Six. Nice, yeah, it's a so, great bowl. Considering they, I honestly, I mean, you look back, seven and five is not a bad record for a Maryland team, but it's it it's going to be hard for me to say this was a successful year given yeah. how it just. Uh, it completely collapsed after a strong start. Um, a lot of missed opportunities. And no matter what happens this year, you're going to look back and that's going to be what you remember about this year. Like everything yeah. was set up and then they weren't able to follow through. Yeah. It um, just feels like they should have at least one more win. And at least, uh, well, yeah. I mean, what does that really change? I guess at the end of the day, you get maybe a slightly better bowl. They can go to would... Tampa warm weather. Yeah. It was either right. citrus bowl or the one in Tampa. Like they were going to go somewhere warm. They were going to go to Florida. Yeah, right. I mean, that that would have been better. It also just would have made the, the season feel more satisfying. Like It would have felt like yeah. we're sending Talia out on a better note and that Mike Loxley has continued to build this thing, where now we have a lot of questions about Loxley. We have a lot of questions about the future and the quarterback position and all the positions and a lot of things. So, um, yeah, we will see. December well, you mentioned You mentioned transfer portal. I do want to touch on that quickly because we've seen yeah. – to this point, we're recording this on Monday at 5:54 Eastern. Uh, to this point, I haven't had I haven't checked Twitter in the last 30 minutes, so something might have changed. But to this point, seven guys have entered the portal, uh, highlighted by tight ends Corey Deitches, Rico Walker, and then linebacker Jay Sean Barham, which is probably the biggest one, maybe their best, most talented player on the roster overall. Definitely yeah. their best defensive player. So this is now the the top three, the top recruit in each of the last three recruiting classes has now left the program. Chop Robinson, Jay Sean Barham, and Rico Walker. Um, I know that this time of year, it's panic time because we see the list and it keeps growing. And there's, there's players that you expected to be back and players that were supposed to be really good and they're gone. And then come spring practice, we look at the roster and we say, all right, like things evened out. So... Don't panic yet, but these are significant losses. And for the bowl game, you're going to be without these guys, uh, which is going to create uh, opportunities for a lot of younger guys to see time, which for them is great. Uh, for the overall product may not be as good. Um, when you look at the roster as it stands now, what positions do you think Maryland needs to target in the portal? Obviously, I think quarterback is one, but other than that, are there any positions that you're really zeroing in on? Well, definitely tight end now, too. Um, yeah. That's been a need. Deitches filled it for a little bit. Now we got to replace him. Uh, so I would I would say quarterback and tight end are probably the, the number one, number two, at least on, on that side of the ball. And they need pass rushers. Uh, 
whether interior or off the edge. I mean, they need both. So, and, that, and that's always, I mean, they're going to need, they're going to need offensive and defensive lines. So they're going to need trench guys. That's, that's always the answer in the big 10. And then, yeah, quarterback, tight end, um, linebacker. It's, it's a long list of, of needs. Um, and, and like you said, it's, it's, it, it does feel like Loxley does a good job every year of filling the voids with other transfers. But then where does that – how do you build a, upon a culture and how do you build upon success that way when it's that much turnover? And it might not be Loxley's fault. It might not be Maryland's fault. It might just be the nature of the transfer portal and college football and how things are right now. Um but it's just so tough because it, it makes it hard to get excited about bringing in a top recruit because how long we have them for. It makes it hard to, like I said, build that culture from year in to year out because you don't have really any of the same guys. I mean, I think they had to pull everything short of a miracle to keep Talia there for four years um, so or five years. You know what I'm saying? So, like, to, they, they had to – um, really put a lot of eggs into that basket and we'll have to continue to do so to keep any star player that they bring to college park. So it's just, it's a gift in the curse of transfer portal because we are going to lose big names to it every year, but it also gives us the chance to refill those positions with relatively experienced and talented players. Um, and Loxley is good at, at working those, those channels. Um, but yeah, it's a, going back to what I said earlier, it's a, even as like a Maryland beat reporter or someone, even a fan who just follows the team, it makes it very hard to know who is who is who, who is what. I mean, the skilled players are one thing, and then you're talking about four out of five offensive line and defensive line and people in the trenches that you barely see uh, uh, switching over. It's like how do you how do you manage it all? You know? Yeah, and NIL is a big part of this now as well um and maryland we know does not have nearly the robust nil um foundation that most of these other decent football schools have i mean even indiana i think has a better operation as far as nil goes for football than maryland so well um, now they got a new coach like you're saying it'll bring some more excitement and fire they'll get that new coach bump in that um yeah and look i mean Corey deitches rico walker jason barham they're all going to get paid somewhere I don't know where, yeah. but they're going to get paid. And all this means is, and we know that there's tampering before they enter the portal. And we know that they've basically been given dollar values by other schools. And this just means that Maryland's boosters were not willing or able to open their pockets. Um, you mentioned Talia. Uh, it's pretty widely known that Auburn tried to give him $1.5 million last offseason to enter the portal. <laughs> yeah, so this is the Talia Bowl. It is. Uh, yeah. Now, Maryland's boosters did step up. For some reason, him, it was Auburn, but for some reason, I was thinking it was Alabama. Because um, mm-hmm. I think Alabama did try to get him at some point, too. But he probably. Would to compete for a position. probably had to compete yeah. with Milrow or something. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's funny that this game. Yeah, I, and I, look, I think, you know, Maryland's boosters stepped up for him. I don't know what they gave him, whether they matched the right. 1.5 or what. Well, but it's like one of those I, things. It's like we're lucky if they can step up to rally the, around And one stepping player. up for a quarterback – Right is easy, right? right when you right. when you go like we need our quarterback, but we need our linebacker. You ain't gonna get that kind of money for a linebacker, no matter how no. good you are. Ray no. Lewis wasn't getting that much from Maryland. Like it doesn't Park. matter. Right. So um, that's the unfortunate part is that Maryland's boosters just 
they just don't have that. And I don't know if that's a Damon Evans issue as far as recruiting uh, top dollar donors, um, because at this point, as far as your big money guys, it's Kevin Plank and it's Barry Gossett. And that's pretty yeah. much it. And then you have a coalition of smaller money donors, and it just doesn't match really any of the bigger schools um, that are even at Maryland's level athletically where you want to be. And that that requires Mike Loxley and Kevin Willard to essentially recruit and go into the portal with a hand tied behind their back. Because it's like, well, how do we add talent that's cheap? And that to me means, you know, we talk about Maryland wanting to raise the ceiling of the program. Um, and Mike Loxley's done a good job of kind of raising that floor. The ceiling is only going to be as high as Maryland's donors want it to be. And that's the unfortunate nature of college football in this day and age. Mike Loxley can only do so much. Now, obviously this year they should have done better and all of that, but going forward the next five years or so, unless Maryland's donors are willing to open up the, the their pockets a little bit more or Damon Evans is able to recruit some bigger donors, there's going to be a pretty significant ceiling on this program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that yeah. goes well, for basketball I, and, as well. And, and you're not wrong there, Zach. I think that, that's why Maryland's in such a precarious situation right now is because I think that the, I think that they relied heavily on the own the donors for revamping the facilities, revamping um, the the stadium, and and all that, keeping that alive. And the idea was you bring in Coach Lopsley, who's a great. Uh, well, I don't know if you can say he's a great coach, but in, you know they 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 brought him in because he was a good coach, a former uh, Broyle Award winner coming off of that when they brought him in. So they're thinking, okay, bring in some good football, great personality, great recruiter, build the culture. So, you know, rely on the donors for the facilities, have then Loxley kind of take over, build the football, the product up better, and then use his recruiting skill to keep it ongoing. Um, but I think now in whatever year it is, five, six, whatever, Loxley, it, it's it's a question of has that message, has his message, has his form of recruiting, has his form of coaching become stale? Is it doing, is it holding up its end of the bargain in terms of, um, being able to lure this talent in and because I mean, how much can you how many times can you knock on the doors of the recruiter on the recruiters with, you know, uh, the uh, a cup in hand or asking for, you know, their money to to dig yourself out of another hole because the team can't drum up enough interest um, with, with their product on the field. So I do think obviously that the donors are given the landscape going to have to still if they want to see good football realize that they are going to have to contribute to that. But I think there are other, other than signing a check, I think there are other ways that they can help with this, given the nature of the NIL and the endorsement deals and the um, fact that Maryland's one of the few big 10 schools that's sandwiched in between two major cities and two major markets. I don't think they've ever done a good enough job of leveraging that and the type of, I do know within athletic recruiting, um, Turgeon did a great job of this. And so did, um, Etzel actually and Durkin um, leveraging like the type of internships and opportunity career wise you can have for like the students, especially that pretty much knew they weren't going to be going pro after college football and, and could go work for Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or uh, uh, whatever, you know, whatever their sector is and, and work in DC or Baltimore and use the Maryland networking connections to get a good job. But now, you can use the Maryland connections and the network within those two major cities to give a player a job while they're in school and give them a source yeah. of income and not even something where they have to do 
use a lot of their time and a lot of their effort, which they don't have while they're in school. They can do, you know, the occasional appearance or shoot one commercial for a car dealership or honestly car dealership. That's more Indiana, Wisconsin. I'm thinking bigger, like, cause that's the allure of the bigger city. They can be the, the face of a bigger brand that comes from these major cities. Um, and I think that's how you have to really sell students now on, coming to Maryland and, and staying at Maryland. But I, I honestly, I don't see or hear much of that going on or enough of that, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about it on the message boards a little bit. I think I got one email this year from Damon Evans about NIL. Like, that's not good. No. <laughs> one. And it was just no. like a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember hey. anything else during football season about donating to they. They have a collective um, right. and about getting involved as far as endorsements or money, whatever. And at I the same time, one. what are we going to do? Like, and I know you can't. Well, but it was a mass. It was one of those mass emails that was sent right, out to know, anybody just, who's right, ever right. bought a I ticket for Maryland. Email, right. Yeah. Right. I get But I'm saying like even targeting like the the major alumni and really it's like as opposed to sending them an email or anything, like forming a partnership, like a mutual yeah. partnership where you can get Maryland student athletes as brand ambassadors or whatever you want to call it for these, you know, homegrown Maryland brands that really benefit off of paying the students a fair wage and have some sort of like program they could literally pave the way in terms of big 10 and um i i would venture to say probably other schools like maybe like a ucla or like something like that who are within major cities and major markets are doing this type of thing to compete amongst each other um maryland is kind of uniquely set up within the big 10 to be able to to do that type of thing. So it, it would be nice and, if Damon Evans and located kind of in one of the that. richest areas in the country. Well, that's one what I'm saying. There's the wealthiest the there. areas right. in the country. Their money's right. there. They're just right. not going out and getting it in the right way. It, and that's the key. It's the, it's the strategy behind it. And, uh, you know, we'll see if that changes. Yeah. So just final note on the transfer portal. I do have on the message boards at Baltimore sports and life.com. I'm trying to keep a tally of everybody who's gone the departures and incoming players um, and kind of a scholarship tally. So hopefully I'm able to keep up with that. Um, but be sure to check that out if you're wondering where Maryland stands with the roster for next season, football wise. And obviously we're on there talking basketball, good and bad uh, during every game. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Pat, Mike, and I all have articles up baltimoresportsandlife.com. So be sure to check those out and follow us on Twitter at TalkingTerpsBSL. Until next time, for Pat Donahue, I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terps.